It's podcasting time. I am Jonathan Isaacson, and this is Dispatches from Japan, a podcast mostly about things in Japan or related to Japan. If you aren't already, please subscribe to the podcast, and whenever I get around to making new episodes, they will pop up into your podcast feed like a um, thing that you want popping up. Um, uh, yeah, whatever that might be for you. Um, not so good at these simile things. Uh, yeah. Anyway, today I've got a short little episode about something that, what, it's actually something that is not exactly a continuing issue, but it, it is certainly something that does come up from time to time, um, particularly in the areas along the the coast of the Japan Sea, so the kind of the western coast of Japan. Um, you know, especially up in the northern parts, but not it does kind of extend the the whole western coast of Japan. But yeah, anyway, let's get into it. So it was getting late in the evening at about 10 p.m. So I guess that's I guess that's more of night than evening, but yeah, 10 p.m. anyway. Um not late night, but you know it's getting there. But you know, well, whatever. Um, so it was about 10 p.m. on the 5th of August, 1981, in the Wakimoto district of the Oga Peninsula, in Akita Prefecture. Three suspicious men in a rubber boat were sighted by a plainclothes policeman who was on patrol in the area. Now, not exactly sure what happened, but the officer apprehended one of the men. But the other two were able to put the boat back into the water and escape into the dark of the sea at night. The man who was apprehended, I think he was wearing like a like a, like a dive suit, basically, like a, a neoprene type. I guess in, I don't know if it was eighty one. I don't know if it was neoprene, but whatever they wore, like for like scuba suit type outfit um but anyway yeah the guy they found he he was basically like a scuba suit type outfit and he had two hundred thousand yen in cash which is a fair amount even today um i i think you know to a hundred thousand think between one to two thousand u.s dollars um and they say this is 1981 money so that's you know $2,000 in 1981, that's quite a bit of, that's quite a bit of cash. Um, 200,000 yen, a significant amount of cash in his, on his person. Uh, And his clothes also were apparently produced in North Korea. I'm sure they couldn't tell that when they just, you know, looked at him. But, you know, upon later investigation, his clothes were made, they found made in North Korea. Um, when the police conducted their investigation, they learned that the man was a Zainichi Korean named Yoon. Um, so yeah, so sorry. So I just used a term here that needs a little bit of explaining. Um, Zainichi. It's a term that is used in Japan to refer to people, mostly people from places like Taiwan and the Koreas, um, the Korean Peninsula, who are permanent residents of Japan, but generally these are people who have lived their entire lives 
in Japan. They were born in Japan in many cases, in most cases, actually. Um, so Japan, there is no birthright citizenship. Just because you're born in Japan doesn't mean you're a Japanese citizen because of, you know, Japan being what it is. And because of colonialism, you know, because that's always been great. But um, so due to Japanese colonialism, early part of the night, late, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, there are quite a few people who are Taiwanese and Korean residents who, despite never having known anything but Japan, being born in Japan, going to school in Japan, everything, they are not Japanese citizens. This is an issue that I certainly could talk about at a later point, but that is not what we're talking about today. But that's what Zainichi means. It means residing in Japan. Um, so these are, they're, say, generally speaking, Taiwanese and Korean um, resi- permanent residents of Japan who have always lived in Japan. They've, they were born here in many cases, like I say. They have kind of a special, within, within foreigners in Japan, they kind of have their own special group. They're their own special case uh, because they are, say, they were born here. And there are other Zainichi, but um, predominantly, like I say, Taiwanese and Korean. Anyway, the guy who was apprehended in this case in Oga, uh, in, in uh, what was it, uh, Wakimoto, he was a Zainichi Korean with a family name of Yoon. And apparently he had graduated from university in Japan and he was employed in Tokyo, but he at some point had been recruited to be a spy for North Korea. Um, and, uh, and again, at some point he had traveled illegally, apparently, to North Korea because, of course, you know, going to North Korea, not something you can do, you know, just on your own. You have there are very special certain special things you have to do to travel to North Korea. Um, I was still to this day. But this guy, he had traveled to North Korea to undergo some sort of spy and espionage training. And then he was dispatched to Japan to infiltrate society and apparently spread the word of Kim Il-sung, the leader of North Korea. Along with probably the other two he was with, but you know they we don't know anything about them. We'll get, we'll get to them later. But anyway, so so Yoon, he would receive a 10-month prison prison sentence suspended for 2 years. And he was able to avoid being expelled from Japan. Um, they, they, there was a they tried to send him to, to South Korea, um, but it was he was able to avoid it. They it, something a deal was worked out. He was able to stay in Japan, and he settled in the Kinki region, um, and that is more more common than Wisconsin um, outside of Japan. So it's it's the area around Osaka, Kyoto, that kind of big mega, megalopolis in western Japan. It's the Kinki region, the, the Kansai region. And apparently this guy, Yoon, he was a bit of a poet. And he uh, wrote a book that was published eventually in 2002. And his biography in this book, he actually mentions his arrest 
in Olga. As for the other two people in the boat, well, the following day on August 6th, um, the Coast Guard ships, they did spot it. They spotted this little rubber dinghy some 400 kilometers from Olga. So they really apparently made good time um, getting across the ocean, getting across the sea there. And the Coast Guard tracked it for about seven kilometers before the rubber dinghy made it out of Japanese waters and outside of where the, the Coast Guard could actually go and get them. So they got away. They, you know, they were and they were never apprehended. They were never taken to, into custody. And now I think it's important to talk, you know, a little bit of context because in the late 70s, early 1980s, there were a lot of abductions. There are 17 officially recognized um, by the Japanese government. The Japanese government has recognized 17 individuals who were at least what the Japanese government says. There were 17 people who were abducted by North Korea. Um, now, North Korea says that they didn't abduct all of them. They have admitted to, to most of them, but there's still a couple they have, have denied. But at least 17 who were most likely abducted by North Korean agents. And there are actually several hundred other cases of missing persons from the same era who may have been abducted by North Korean agents. Although I, I think those other cases are pretty kind of just like, we don't know, so there's nothing's been done about it, nothing's been said about it. There are 17 cases who the, that the uh, Japanese government says almost certainly were people abducted by North Korean agents. And this was a major issue in Japan in the 1970s and 1980s, especially in places along the Sea of Japan coast, um, like Oga in Akita. You know, so at you know, 1981, suspicious people in, in in a rubber boat, one of them wearing clothes, probably made in North Korea. You know, you, you, there was there was legitimate reason for concern. Uh, I think the earliest of the abductions was like in the, in the kind of the mid 70s. And they I think the last one's 83, 84, somewhere around there. So this is literally right in the middle of these these this period of abductions. So. <laughs> People would have been concerned, you know. And at this point in time, um, so I, I am not, this is twenty twenty two that I'm talking right now. North Korea, like I say, has admitted that at least some of those seventeen were in fact abducted by North Korean agents, and the North Korean government hasn't said that all of the suspected abductions were carried out by their agents, but. Yes, at least some of them, yes, these abductions happened. And a few of the abducted Japanese citizens were repatriated after decades. One of the ones who was able to return to Japan was a woman named uh, Soga Hitomi. And she ended up being forced to marry an American, a U.S. military officer named Charles Jenkins, um, and apparently Jenkins, he had deserted the army because he didn't want to go into like the really you know, fierce battle in Vietnam. At least that's the story. Um, 
Anyway, so so you get Charlie Jenkins. Charlie, apparently, is what he went by. Uh, he deserted the army, the U.S. Army, because he was on like he was on leave in South Korea or something. I don't, I don't, I didn't look up the exact particulars of it, but yeah, he he ended up in North Korea, and Charles Jenkins and um, Sogei Tomi they were forced basically by the Korean North Korean government to get married, and they ended up having two children and uh, two daughters and in 2002 Hitomi was able to come back to Japan and then two years later in 2004 Charles the American uh, former U.S. Army officer and their two daughters were able to return to Japan as well I was actually here when that happened that was it was really big news at the time when I said this is when I was first living in Japan so yeah um yeah, state abductions were something that happened to Japanese citizens in the late 70s, early 80s. And, of course, Koreans, both North and South, had justifiable beef with Japan. I mean, Japan was not a nice colonial power in the first half of the 20th century, which is to say Japan as a colonial power was par for the course um, when it comes to colonial powers. Because colonial powers, as a rule, not very nice. I think that's safe to say. In Japan, in Korea, and Taiwan, um, not, not great. So Korea, North and South, you know, I think there is some justifiable beef. Um, and Japan, uh, yeah, it was, and still is, of course, allied with the U.S., which another, you know, one of North Korea's main enemies. Um, so yeah, that, that was the era in which these, you know, these three guys in a rubber boat showed up in some fishing village in, you know, Akita, off the coast, in the coast of Akita. So, yeah. Um, say these abduct these abductions they don't happen anymore. Um, like I say North Korea has acknowledged them, at least some of them, and said we won't do this anymore. Um, but there are still boats from North Korea that end up on the coast of Japan, and I think I think Oga I think this part this. this pretty close to the same same spot in Akita, has seen some of these boats. But these are very different. These are more kind of like things I have, like that have happened while I've been in Japan these last, you know, almost two decades. So these boats are not spies. They're not North Korean agents. These are North Korean fishing boats. And these are from their fishing fleet. They're, they're, you know, the ones that go out into the inter- international waters and do their fishing. They have to go out there and provide food for North Korea, which is a place that isn't exactly noted for having a bountiful food supply, right? There are, you know, there have been stories about mass starvation happening in North Korea. Food is an issue. So fishing, very important, Right, going out there getting some food for the people of North Korea, and so these fishermen—they're going out in these, what I can only describe as rickety old boats. Right, I've seen pictures of them. 
I would not want to go out into open waters in these, but they have no choice. And so they are having to go out into these rickety old boats out into the open waters, and sometimes they get hit by bad storms. And frankly, I mean, some of them just don't make it. Um, presumably, they get washed overboard. I, I mean, it's obviously we don't have details of what has happened on these boats, but these boats end up unmanned and they're left to drift on the Sea of Japan. And with some regularity, um, these captainless, crewless boats make their way to the shores of Japan. And it is a pretty bleak story all around. I mean, we haven't heard quite as many recent these, these stories haven't showed as much recently. I think maybe North Korea is not quite in the food crisis it was five, ten years ago. Um, but still, yeah, these things, th this happens. And obviously not as bad as the abductions that were happening, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s, but it is still a reminder of this hostile country that abducted people, right? These abductions were real. They're just across the sea. And these fishing boats, these ghost boats, are a reminder that North Korea is there. And yeah, okay, kind of a bit of a downer of an ending, but I don't think there is any real way to make this a happy ending. It is a, it's not a happy story, but it is a story of reality. And yeah, I guess that is where I will leave it for today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever it is that you cast your pods. Um, the podcast is on, on all the major platforms as far as I know. It should be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, uh, Pandora, if, at least if you're in the U.S., maybe some other places if you're using some like off-brand uh, pod, uh, podcasting apps or whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. The, say I, the the name of the podcast has changed, right? It is now just Dispatches from Japan, but that's that's the only thing that's changed. Your feed, your podcast feed, everything like that. Twitter, it's still all the same. Come find the find the Twitter at Just Another Cast. You can email the show. It's still Just Another Jerk Podcast uh, at gmail.com. And you can find all of that information on the website, which is tinyurl.com slash jerkpod. And that is all for me. I am Jonathan Isaacson, and I'm out. Peace.